Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Expertise Podcast. I'm your host, Roland Martin, and I hope that today's conversation will expand your knowledge. Today, I welcome my dad, Ken Martin, to the show. Dad has spent most of his life working in an apple operation. He spent many years running the packing operation at Martin's Family Fruit Farm, but switched a few years ago to managing the apple orchard. In the following conversation, he tells the story of how the family got into apples and the many factors he has to consider when growing apples. I hope that you will enjoy it and learn from his expertise. Welcome, Dad, to Everyday Expertise. Thanks a lot for for doing this. How are you today? I'm good. Excellent. So, um, we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like to manage an orchard or what it's like to, to grow apples. So, I'm curious, what's your work like currently or what uh, what keeps you busy right now? Well, at uh, all through the growing season, I go to Vienna, which is about... Uh, hour and 20 minute drive south of us down close to Port Burwell, Ontario, pretty well every day. Um, and right now, um, the main thing that's happening in the orchard is trellis work, which is what we build, um, to, it's a support system for the trees. And so each year when we do our <clears throat> new planting then uh we have to we plant the trees in the spring and then sometime during the summer we have to get the the support system built for those trees so that is um in progress right now um as well as we are just now starting to do some uh touch up pan thinning um which uh, is usually a month of July project. If there's any uh, trees that are too um, too heavy with fruit yet, then then we go and do hand thinning. So that's another thing that's starting to happen right now. Gotcha. So you're coordinating those those projects. Is that is that how you're involved in it, or do you directly manage it, or or uh what what do you do when you when you get down to to the to the orchard down down in Vienna every day i just make sure that everything's running smoothly i don't i'm not the one that actually uh, we have managers for different segments of our operation down there and we have um an overall manager um a maintenance manager, the storage manager, the orchard manager who looks after the the spraying and and that kind of thing and and then um we also have a manager for the irrigation and trellis and um that kind of thing. So it's um I need to help decide what are the priorities right now and what the the men should be doing on a particular day but but i don't need to be there at seven o'clock in the morning to get them going each morning I, right yeah. so 
how many acres of orchard are are you managing down in Vienna? Yeah, in the Vienna area there. Uh, it's about six hundred and fifty acres down there, and another sixty acres or so here in the Waterloo area. Okay. So, are you in charge of of the making sure the orchard is being managed well here here in Waterloo as well or yes okay. that's right what's it like trying to juggle it in two places or is it small enough here that it's it's not too bad yeah most of the time it's not too bad it it can be a little bit frustrating sometimes if the if uh, some emergency comes up or or uh, when I'm down in Vienna for the day I usually check on things here before I leave in the morning and then usually when I get back in the evening I check on things too and, and there's the odd time that the instructions weren't followed right. and uh, I was gone all day and so didn't catch on till the end of the day <clears throat> but uh, for the most part no they're they're quite uh, reliable guys that I have here and so it works quite well nice yeah and uh What's the apple crop looking like this year? So there's little apples on the trees now at this point everywhere. Is that right? Yes, they uh, they are just at the one inch to one in one and a quarter inch stage right now. Are you talking diameter when you I'm give a measurement diameter, like that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and at harvest time they are about two and three quarter to three inch um, size diameter. So they, they grow an eighth of an inch, between an eighth and a quarter inch each week. Um, so um, they, uh, the crop, you asked how the crop looks this year. It, I'd say at this point it looks excellent. Good. Um, it's a, it's um, all varieties uh, have a, a decent amount of apples this year. There's some varieties that tend to be um, every other year that they have a heavy year one year and then a light year have a kind of an off year. But um, this year it seems like it's an on year for all of them. Okay, so. that's great. Yeah, and um, well. We'll probably talk about it a little bit later, but it doesn't mean that it's it's. I mean, there still are things that could happen to, to an apple crop, but uh, but that's great to hear that it's it's looking uh, good so far. I'm uh, I've been helping with uh, the spraying a little bit this year because of of um, some of the regular workers not being able to to come up to help with the crop, and I was I was noticing that the are the ambrosia looking a little, a little lighter where, where I was spraying, or was can I not tell things very well from the tractor? Well, I, I think the the thinner may have worked a little too well. Oh no! <laughs> okay. On the ambrosia this year. Okay. That's one. Uh, but sometimes when you think that it worked a little too well at this time of year, then that means it's just right. Because sometimes when it looks just right now, then all of a sudden. In three weeks from now, you realize, oh, you really need to do a bunch of hand thinning yet. 
Oh yeah, as the apples start to grow, it looks yeah. you, you see them better, and there's yeah. it appears that there's a lot more there. Yeah, I had to keep telling myself that because as I was driving through the the um, orchard a couple of days ago when I was spraying, I kept thinking, oh, it doesn't look like that many apples on the tree. I'm like, oh no, they're still small. They they're they're gonna get bigger yet. So I was gonna tell you that I think you did a little too good a job of thinning the ambrosia. Okay, <laughs> well, I was, I was wondering about that, so that's why I asked. So that's funny. Mm-hmm. So, um, as you know, we're recording this in 2020, so it's been a um, an interesting year as far as dealing with COVID-19 and and the worldwide pandemic. And so, I was I was curious if if there's it's been significant enough to to talk about. Will it be a, a year that you remember as far as managing an apple orchard and how that's affected you, or has it been been pretty normal um a year so far no it's been uh far from normal um so i've only been doing uh this is just my fifth season that i've been full-time in the orchard operations um so i was managing the waterloo orchard along with my uh responsibilities a lot more of my responsibilities were in the in the packing and marketing and right. uh, <clears throat> only uh a little over four years ago that i uh, switched to to full-time in the orchard management um and so this yeah this year's far different from any of the years Previously, I've spent a lot more time on a tractor than I ever have in for a long time. And uh, one of the things with the guys not being able to come. So we had um, 56 guys that were supposed to arrive on March the 18th. And, uh, and these are arriving from, from where? From uh, Trinidad and Jamaica. So what's the well there's just we'll get back to that in a little bit, but what uh, or what's the purpose of of um workers coming from outside of Canada? Because our work is seasonal. Right. Um we just cannot hire enough locals to um to make we have a lot of hands on work with the pruning and harvest. And it's just and for a few months out of the year, basically, instead of a full time, full year, full year round job. Right. So the ones that come in March, they're here for eight months. Okay. But even, even to hire someone for eight months when you don't have work for them for the winter, then is you lose them and you're starting over and, and, um, it, te- I mean, our, that we're in we're in the farming so it's it's hard to compete with the high wages in the manufacturing sector and so um we we can't pay the same wages as a lot of manufacturing companies right. can and so that's another reason why um but a big part of it is it's the it's seasonal work and mm-hmm. a lot of hands-on work so this year, then you found out that, or there were there were uh, 
the the crew that was would would come in March they were about to come was that yeah that they happened? had their they had all the tickets they were basically leaving for the airport so they were flying on the 18th and it was on the 17th that uh, Canada closed the doors to any of them coming so a week or 10 days later then Canada opened it back up and uh the I had of these 56 20 were Jamaicans and and 36 were from Trinidad and Tobago and uh the Jamaicans arrived on April 1st um but in the meantime Trinidad had closed their borders to and, letting anyone out right right okay in or out, I think was Probably, basically yeah. the, uh, and and they've just been really slow to open back up. But three weeks ago, they did announce that they are allowing the workers to come, and it sounds like they're going to arrive next week. Now, my other thirty six. So so far, I've just been dealing with. Uh, I've just had the twenty from Jamaica, and we hired a bunch of. Um, part-time local help for the the pruning mm -hmm. we were able to have the the early part of the season in in march and april there was a bunch of people in the farming industry that um weren't real busy yet and were at least available part-time and so it was we had to train a bunch of new people but i was really impressed with with uh, the job that they did and it really helped us out in the, yeah. the pruning but that was one thing that was different we had to train a whole bunch of new people for for pruning this year so that took a lot more uh, oversight than our experienced guys that knew what they were doing right yeah were you directly involved in training in the new people or yes okay oh. very good so I, I mean my my orchard manager down there he he did more of that than than i did but we had like 30 new people that showed up that first week. And so we had to spend quite a bit of time with them the first number of days till we were comfortable that they had kind of the idea of what they were doing. Could a, could an amateur, a rookie, uh, apple tree pruner really hurt a tree? Like, is it, is it really important that they're, they're doing their job well? It is very important. Yes. But, uh, they they wouldn't kill the tree, but they could greatly affect its fruit producing capability okay. if they're cutting yeah. off the the wrong kind of branches and and there there's some people that catch on to the concept a lot faster than others okay but yeah that's I've helped in a, a number of different parts of of orchard work like summers when i was in school and things like that but probably because it's in the spring and i've i've been in in school most of the time when i would be helping in the orchard i pruning something that i never i never did so i would i would have if, if you would have hired me this spring to do some pruning i would have been right there having to learn how to how to do it and how to figure it out so there's also a lot of different styles of of pruning and different concepts like so it's i mean there there's a lot of different 
methods that can work. And so uh, um, it, it takes a long time to, to, it's not an exact science. Okay. Every exact branch. And it, it's, sometimes it doesn't make a difference whether you take that branch or this branch. Um, just so long as you take one of them. Okay. Yep. And it, I might take one and you take the other one and it really didn't make any difference. Okay. Does it, when you say there's, there's lots of different ways to do it, is it different depending on the variety of apple that like that there needs to be a different technique or will different or apple growers have different methods of, of doing, of pruning? Yeah. Some of both, like definitely different. There's different methods that a grower decides that he likes a certain okay. method. And, but then also varieties, they have a little bit different tree structure. And so you have to, okay. you have to treat different varieties a little bit different too. But, but then there's some basic things that are standard for all varieties. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Um, just before we get into, to talking about some of the, what, uh, how you learned about an orchard and things like that. Um, just a little bit more about you. Do you have any other, do you have any hobbies that you'd like to talk about that are outside of managing an orchard? Anything that, that you enjoy? Oh, I, uh, recently I've, uh, taken up walking. So I've uh, really learned to, to enjoy walking, uh, um, do a lot of walking. So when you say walking, it's it's more walking than just what you need to get to the places that you're going. It's it's going out and walking for an enjoyment. Yeah, what you mean by that? That's yeah, right. that's excellent. How uh, how much walking do you do in a day? Uh, about eleven kilometers a day is my kind of average. Okay. So how much do you need to do besides just your regular activity to get to that 11 kilometers? A lot of times my regular activity would only get me two or three or four. Oh, really? So, so you're, you're really upping the amount of walking that you do in a day then by, by doing it as a, as a regular habit? But, but yeah, so I mean, I've, my regular activity, I've been getting out of my vehicle more and and walking through the it's it's good to do that anyway you get a closer look at what's oh, okay. happening in the orchard so, so you're so i can get some of my extra steps in so you're purposely using your job to to be able to pick up extra steps and do more walking that's right excellent yeah yeah, yeah. do you usually get a walk in in the in the evening then too when you're home yeah almost always in the evening some point if, um go on a nice long walk after supper so i've been also doing a lot more uh reading since i'm walking because i listened to uh i got into the audio book thing so yeah that's been a good combination that's finally figured out that i can do two things at once <laughs> very nice yeah so what what have you been reading recently uh i read AD 30 by Ted Decker this week. Oh, nice. Um, I've been reading uh, Brendan Sanderson's uh, 
series. Um, and I just started the third one in the series, Oathbringer, I think it's oh, okay. called. Very good. So, uh, so how would you describe Brandon Sanderson novels? Um, they're hard to describe. <laughs> <laughs> they're, he's a, he's a very, uh, interesting writer. Um, I, I wasn't too sure about some of the fantasy to start off with, but, but I, I guess after I got done the first one, I was enough sold on it that I read the second one and I'm starting the third one. So, yeah, no, that's. That's great, because um, Ricky and I would, uh, I remember over the last couple of years, I think just kind of jokingly telling you that you should you should try reading reading these fantasy novels, because it's not something that you would have read as, even as a child or any point in your in your reading. That wouldn't have been something you'd picked up, would it have, would it have been? No. Yeah. So that's when uh, when we convinced you or when you decided to try it and, and then liked it, we, we, we thought that was great. So. Mm-hmm. Any uh, any other hobbies that you're into right now, or does that take up most of your free time uh, outside of work? I I really enjoy traveling, which isn't happening at all right now. Right, and uh, I enjoy golf whenever I get a chance. That's that's one of my uh, favorite things to do. Um, golf, I enjoy just about any sport, tennis, whatever. Um, you uh you've been getting out to play golf regularly since the courses have opened i've been out a few times i don't know if you call it regularly but yeah do you uh have you not been stopping on your way home from vienna as much as you did last year well i've done that a number of times now since the course has opened again Yeah. yeah very good okay um so what I, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit about what your experience was as um, that got you into to apple growing, or I don't know how much of your story you can you can share or describe, but um, I'd like to hear a little bit about it. So what was what was kind of the the first things that introduced you to to apples, and yeah, maybe a little bit of of the story how the how it came into the family and um, and how it's gotten to the to the large orchards that you're managing today. So I'll uh, let you start describing it and I'll probably have questions along the way as well. Yeah, so when uh, I was growing up, it was uh, a hog farm that my dad had and uh, we had a farrow to finish operation and we had this little orchard apple orchard on the farm and old orchard like pretty well every farm in the area had but over the course of the the years most of these trees had gotten too old and died off and so what had been the orchard was down to like two apple trees when oh okay I, when were I these was, like a hundred year old trees it was big, great big trees, or I, I imagine that my great grandfather planted them when he started the farm in the in the late eighteen hundreds, okay. early nineteen hundreds. Yep. So 
<clears throat> I mean, not quite could, 100 years, but yeah. They could have been um, in the late 60s. These trees may have been 50, 60. Okay. Maybe even up to 70. Or that's why they were dying off because they were they were like standard big old apple trees. But um, we had in uh, 19, in the spring of 1970, that year we had, uh, um, I was the second oldest uh, in our family. I had one older brother, but dad uh, needed help on the farm. He was a pastor and um, he needed a full-time hired man and there was this opportunity to get a foreign exchange agriculture student for a nine or ten month segment and dad signed up for this and uh, it was from the country of Yugoslavia at the time okay. and um, you know it ended there was like ten different uh, farms that had signed up for this program it was supposed to be ten guys coming well it ended up that only four of the ten came but one that was designated for our farm happened to be one of the ones that came and so we uh, got uh, this young man from Yugoslavia his name was Bronco and uh, that spring when he was the year that he was working on our farm there living with us and uh he was much more interested in horticulture than pigs. And he he was a very hard worker. He did a very good job with with looking after the pig farm. But his real love would have been to to work on a on a farm with fruit trees. Do you know had he been studying that in school be, before he came over? Do you know or did he have experience with it or do you know at all what what his background was? I don't know okay. what his background was, but I think most of the other guys that came, like they went to farms like down in Vineland. Oh, two or orchards or vineyards or, vineyards or, or something. Yeah, yeah okay. And you, <clears> but he, on happened, hog farm. he happened to end up on a hog farm. <laughs> but anyway, that spring, um, Dad had been planning and planting 15 or 20 young apple trees in this old orchard where most of the trees had died off. And uh, when Bronco heard about that, then he he told Dad that he should be planting his whole farm in apple trees. And, well, he didn't convince Dad to do that, but he did convince Dad to up it to 100 trees that year. And so I still remember that spring. Um, they dug a big hole for each tree and put in a wheelbarrow full of manure to each tree. And and uh, these trees that we planted were, were what what you call a semi-dwarf rootstock. Okay. So they weren't, they didn't get big like those old standard trees that they had been replacing. But they're still what we consider a very big <laughs> tree nowadays for an apple tree. Would they be like the... Even bigger than what most of the ones on the farm today, or not? So we have a few semi-dwarf left on the farm, like right out beside the the main laneway coming in there on the left-hand oh, side. All those massive it, ones. Yeah. Those. Yeah, okay. 
they seem really big today those, anyway. Those Max and Estabella there, those are but those are pretty similar to size to what these first trees were okay. that we planted and they were obviously very small when you planted them though. Yeah. Or were yeah. they are they were they are they were they the same size as trees you plant now or were they bigger? No, they were the same just, size. Just as one trees little you stick planted. that you stick in the ground. Yeah, yeah. maybe a few uh, branches or feathers we call them. The, okay. The mm-hmm. branches. But um no, they would have been just a small tree. But anyway, so that was 1970, so in about um 3 or 4 years down the road then when those first trees started producing um a bit of fruit then we had a, it was a little bit too much for us to eat ourselves and so we had to figure out uh what to do with them so i remember that first time we went to farmers market with um four bushel of Tideman's red apples was an early variety. Tideman's red. Never yes. heard of that. Okay. Similar to the Paula red. Okay. Um, but we also had some potatoes. We were growing some potatoes at that time. So we oh, okay. took some potatoes. This and, had been like two or three years after you initially planted them? Yeah, three or four, maybe four. Four, okay. Yeah. Okay, because you would have used them yourselves after the, like when they just produce a few in those, and the, in those the, first couple of years. Well, yeah, in those those first years, you don't really want them producing any apples. You, oh, so they, they grow. Have, you, yeah. you take all the apples off so they grow, and especially a semi-dwarf tree. Um, you wouldn't expect to get much fruit in the first five years. But um, I remember, like, we sold, they sold out in the first hour or so of oh, wow. those, those four bushel. And, and I don't know, I probably got dead excited about the possibilities of selling apples. And mm-hmm. Anyway, so he started going down to Simcoe to a larger orchard down there and, and purchasing some apples wholesale. And he'd take his pickup truck and put a couple of... 20 bushel bins i mean and bring them back and and then we'd use that to supplement our apples to make it worthwhile having a market stand okay every saturday and uh then we started picking up other customers i remember some of our first customers were you know a few local bakeries maybe like stonecrock and we sold we did a run every week to the University of Waterloo and some of the smaller universities there like uh, St. Jerome's and Kunrad Grebel and Renaissance. And, and um, every just once a week, we there was for the cafeteria there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of our first customers. And, and uh, eventually, like, we picked up one grocery store like Freiburgers and Elmira and and so the it kept growing and then you know we needed a we we just had like a a little shed and so we we built a new shed that had room for some apple packing equipment and so have you at this point have you been planting more trees or is it still just the hundred trees that are that are so um supplying these 
market and the different customers that you've been picking up? No, that that hundred trees got got dead started, and every year after that, he every spring after that, we planted more apple trees. Okay, so like right the next year, you were you were planting more. Yeah, the okay. next year. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. And every year after that, uh, we planted apple trees. Gotcha. So I mean, now, now those those original trees that we planted are gone, and we've we've replanted that okay. that uh, section of orchard already. Do you know how old the oldest ones would be that that are still on the um, still on the farm? Uh, probably about 35 years. Okay. So I would go back to about 85. That's right. So yeah, yeah about 15 years. Okay. So, yeah. So what, at what point was the entire farm planted in orchard then? Well, it's still, we still haven't quite planted the entire <laughs> right, farm, but, um, so we we were planting here that um we bought another farm up the road so we also planted orchard on that farm but probably the last orchard we had planted up here was about uh 16 17 years ago except for one 10 acre block that we replanted which is just about 10 years ago okay but most of our planting um in recent years has been um down in vienna so now like as our as our business was growing um we we were buying more and more apples from other growers at one point then we got an offer to to purchase a farm um down in the Harrow area. So in the 80s, um, we bought a farm down there, and then we were also renting a bunch of farms. So for a while, we were farming as much as um, 350 acres of orchard down in the Harrow area. So that's down southern, like really southern Ontario? Yeah, yeah. Leamington, Kingsville. Um, so it's it's along the same same lake the north shore of lake erie just like the orchard that we have in vienna but it's um further southwest do you remember at all like what the how that came available or what the what uh, what made you decide to to buy a farm so far away i mean three hour drive is that how how far away yeah it's three uh Three to three and a half, it was okay. down to there. Um, yeah, there, there's some varieties that do better um, oh, closer yeah. to the lake. It's maybe a little better apple growing area than what we have right here in Waterloo. Um, I think Dad had been seeing that, and mm-hmm. it just looked like a opportunity to grow more of our own apples because we were we were having to buy a little bit more control of our own market if we were growing more of our own apples. If right, you're yeah. only buying from other growers and you're so dependent, they'd choose to sell them to some yeah. other packer. Well, then you were left sit. And we we had, you know, by that time we had <clears throat> um, 
been getting more customers, and mm -hmm. so we had to ensure that we could provide them for a decent amount of the year to convince them that they should keep buying from us. If you lost them partway through the year, you might not get them back the next year. Right, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was interesting that, that the, the business was both the orchard side and packing apples as well. Like that the like it wasn't just packing and it wasn't just just um, growing apples. It was it was the two having to feed each other, I guess. Yeah. So what what kept happening is is our market kept growing faster than what we produced the apples, and so we kept we always kept buying apples. And even though we farm seven hundred acres of orchard today, we still have a lot of other growers that we market their fruit for them. Right. What uh do you know what per approximately what percent of all the apples that you pack on the packing line is are the own apples your own apples that you grow? I think it's thirty five to forty percent okay. that we grow. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And then you'll buy in the rest to, to pack and sell. Right. And most of those are from dedicated growers that just sell all their apples to us every right. year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So back to just, uh, like to hear a little more if you have to say on the, how the, the packing operation grew. So you were getting enough customers that it became worth it to have some equipment to pack the apples and distribute them that way. Is that kind of how it's continued to grow? Yeah, that's right. We we started first with a with a bin dumper that could just dump the bin up onto a return flow belt, and we just packed them by hand off of that. But but then you know we kept as as we got busier we kept adding more equipment to make it a little bit more efficient and to wash the fruit um before before you pack it and so if you, when you wash it then you also need a a dryer to dry them right. and, and then i i remember the first uh sizer we got was a just a two-lane mechanical weight sizer like it was it would it would drop the apples a certain weight, but it was just kind of like a spring-loaded scale that, um, that when it was heavy enough, then it would drop at that certain spot. So, so could you still like designate what's where it would drop? Like, were there a few different um, belts that you could drop it off at with that old weight sizer? Yes. Okay. And you you had like dials that you turned to set the weight. Oh, okay. That, Very good. That <laughs> when. And that's a way of si like uh, sorting the apples by size then to, right. to be able to, to sell them. Now that's all done. Computerized solenoids, the weighing. The weighing, yeah. 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 No, that was, that was one of my jobs that I had in the, in the few years that I worked at Martin's Family Fruit Farm was, was um, deciding where the apples would go. And I, I enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. Um, so what was your role throughout, throughout, uh, the years from, I mean, you had a, you started with an orchard when you were five years old, were you always heavily involved in every part of the, 
the growing process from 10 years old on up or how did that work for you? Well, in 10, I was still in school, but, but, um, yeah, so we would, yeah, dad taught us the, the pruning. We would be involved in the, the pruning and sometimes, you know, evenings after school or Saturdays, um, because that was in the spring when we were in school, but, but as the, as the packing got busier, but in the, in the early parts, it was, it was still kind of seasonal, like we weren't packing year round. Okay. And, and in those early years, like we got into strawberries and raspberries and other things, sweet corn, sweet corn was a big thing for a while that we grew in the summer to keep us busy. So you were growing all of this stuff in order to sell it at market? Is that right? Rather than just buying it and selling it? Yeah, we were growing it to sell to the stores that um, that we were supplying with apples. Oh, I see. Okay. And it, it helped to keep our employees busy in the summer um, gotcha. when, okay. when we weren't packing many apples anymore. But as the years went along and we grew and storage um, facilities got better, we were packing longer and longer into the season till today packing is now a year round thing. And so all this other summer um, fruit was more of a pain because we were still packing apples and we hardly had time to, to look after those things properly. And so eventually we got out of all those others and now we're solely apple growers. Right. Okay. So but, sorry, go ahead. But as, yeah, there was, so I had time when we weren't packing to be involved in other aspects of the, of the orchard management as a, so I, I was learning a lot of those things in growing up, um, about what you do in an orchard. Mm -hmm. And then, um, as we had orchards in other areas, um, in Leamington, um, dad would have been the one that, you know, was the most regular in going there. Okay. But then in, <clears throat> in the nineties, we bought, uh, we had an opportunity to buy a lot of acres of orchard in, uh, Vienna, Port Burwell area. And so for, a number of years there we were we had orchard in that area down in Leamington and at Waterloo. And then there was a number of years there where Dad was kinda of looking after the Vienna orchards and and I was along with my responsibilities in the packing plant, I was kind of overseeing the Leamington. So I I didn't get down there near every day, but kinda of once a week or so for a while. Um during the growing season, I would get down there just to make sure that things were progressing like they should down there. But um, at, w at a certain point then, um, we decided it was, we were concentrating on our orchards in Vienna and it was too far away to manage both properly. And so we sold our farms down in, in Leamington. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now you just, that's why you just have the, the, 
orchards in Vienna and the orchards here. That's at correct. This point. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So back to in your teen years, were you still um, hog farmers as well as the orchard was growing? Yes. Yeah, so at one point um, we contracted out our barn to um, another guy that I uh, was probably about three years so that he, it was just the pigs were all his thing and okay. we were just mm -hmm. renting the barn to him. But then when he quit, then um, my younger brother, Sandy, um, looked after, it was his job to look after the pigs for, he did that for a year or two. Okay. And then about at that point, we just decided that with the way the apple business was growing, we just, and we were getting more and more into packing and it just wasn't a good mix to have apple packing and pig farming right. on the same farm. And so we, we sold all the pigs and, and, uh, cleaned out the barn and used it for storage. Okay. Do you know, do you remember what year that was or approximately what year that was when the last pig left the farm? Um, I think I can figure out it was, uh, probably about 85. Okay. So you would have been about 20 by the time that, that, uh, that it was solely apples that, yes, that were being right. grown here. Okay. Yeah. And throughout, so throughout your teen years, the orchard kept getting bigger and the packing started and then kept getting bigger as, as well. Yes, it was it was growing significantly by that time. And so by the time I got out of school at sixteen, um I was it was pretty busy. I mean the summers were really busy with doing a lot of trucking because we were doing all this other we were supplying these all these stores, direct store at that time and we were right. supplying them with all this other produce in the summer direct store so um i did in those early years i did a fair bit of truck driving oh, in okay. the summer uh -huh. but um but i was i was kind of responsible for running the packing line um as as i remember it was pretty much right out of school whenever okay. we, whenever we were packing apples it was kind of my responsibility to kind of be in charge of that okay i didn't know that i didn't re remember or realize that you had done that right from from the beginning and then that's basically what you did up until a few years ago when you switched to just focusing 100 percent on on orchard is that right that's right so like i mean it it varied a fair bit like what my exact role was like for quite a few years i was actually physically out there running the line for the last 10 years there was there was someone else i was just overseeing right. helping them with the, the run schedule and and uh making sure the orders got packed on time and that kind of stuff and so it wasn't like i needed to be there every minute like i was involved in in the growing some too right. just like yeah. i'd said earlier like i was going to leamington one day a week there for a while mm-hmm no, I uh, I got to work under you for two years there after I was 
out of high school before I went off to college and so that was that was enjoyable getting to work with you for a couple years though I didn't didn't stick with it for <laughs> for uh, longer than that it wasn't because of me though no no I really oh, okay. I, I actually enjoyed the entire job it was just there were other things I wanted to do more it wasn't that I didn't like it but um but it uh it yeah it was I, I could have done it kept doing it I just wasn't there was other things I wanted to do more I guess did you uh did you ever consider doing other things or were you always always planning to to work with apples for your career I probably just didn't do a lot of planning that was what right uh, yeah that was what showed up but there was a like a significant thing I think I was I was probably more interested in the the packing end of it and the you know all the new technology and, and right. packing and and the sales and I was more interested in that than in the actual growing but in 2001 um we took a, um an IFTA trip an international fruit tree association um, puts on um international trips and this one was to Europe that summer and uh so me and my two brothers and my dad and our wives took this two-week trip to Europe and seeing um how they grow apples <laughs> there and that that started getting me really excited about the growing and what okay. some of the things that the possibilities that we had um, for growing and I think you know some of those things and were what helped to shape you know where our orchard is today as okay. far as fascinating so you toured orchards is that what the trip was focused on yes and dad had taken some of these trips earlier than that already but then this time he gave us the opportunity to go on it too. I think he thought it would help to get us more excited about growing apples. Well, I guess he was right then. If, yeah. I, if you can kind of pick that out as a, as a turning point for getting you more interested in it. So I was, that's interesting that you say that because I was going to ask you if what kind of made the, the change then now that, I mean, you, when you were younger, you said you enjoyed the packing end of things more. Now you're, now you're doing um, just managing the orchard. So is that, are you at the point now where you prefer that over over packing apples? You prefer growing over packing? Yeah, I I mean the packing like I said that's very uh it hardly ever has a has a break and so right. it was more more stress year round with that. Um, the apple growing has a lot of stress too, but it has different seasons and and uh, you kind of get a bit of a break in the winter and mm -hmm. and so it was a good fit for me. But the the main reason that I switched was just because there was a need for one of us to get more with all the orchard that we were managing. There was need for one of us to get more involved in that because of my dad's age and and. Um, you know, some health challenges and mm -hmm. it just wasn't feasible for him to be looking at after it all by himself anymore. Right. Um, it's too, too important a part of the business. That, um, nothing 
if you miss one thing, um, then it can be a bad year. Right, yeah. And so um, we just decided, it was basically Kevin and I decided that one of us should should, uh, get more involved in the orchard, and he actually offered to, uh, but I told him that. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. He's so busy as the president of the company, right? And, and I had, I had more experience in the orchard right, over yeah. years than what he did, and so I offered to do it, and and uh, he took me up on it right away, and mm-hmm. so that's what I've been doing the last little over four years now. Nice. Have you seen uh, your knowledge and skills in increasing or improving in the four years that you've been focused on growing apples with full time? Oh yeah, I there. I mean, the more you're, the more you're in the orchard, the, the more you learn, and it's yeah. When you're involved in it full time, it's easier to, to keep exact records of what you do in all areas. And, right. Yeah. And uh, learn from your past mistakes, and mm-hmm. and there's there's still, you're never done learning. Like yeah. the, just like we. We overthinned the ambrosia a little bit this year, and we—I mean, the, so it was pretty hot, right? When we were doing the thinning this year, and the thinners often work a little better in the heat. And oh, I see. Was, we know that some varieties thin easier than others, but but also this year we were looking at it that we can't miss on the area of under thinning because we weren't sure when. We're getting the rest of our help, and right. and uh, it can be a disaster if you leave too many on and don't have don't have enough help to get them all hand thinned off, and and so um, it's not not all bad if we overthin just if you overthin just a little bit because right. you get better sized fruit. And, well, yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that there's little factors like the temperature when it when you're applying the the thinner or just little factors like that that can make a big difference in what your crop looks like in the fall so i guess yeah there's a there's a lot to learn and keep track of and things like that let's uh switch a little bit and um since we've we've been mentioning different parts of of apple growing orchard management and um, i thought it'd be interesting to to go through what a what a typical year looks like and maybe just hit some of the the key things that that people might not realize that are involved with growing orchard or growing apples getting them from um or making the decisions that you have to make at the beginning of of the spring to to make sure that you have a good apple crop in the fall in the fall so just to start when do you what time of year do you start getting out to the orchard and and making sure that um, that you're going to have a good crop in the fall. So pruning can happen um, throughout the winter. There's uh, on on real young trees um, you don't want to do a lot of big cuts if there's a chance of a real cold snap in the next few days. Oh, that could damage a 
the tree yeah okay yeah because the the cold gets into the it it's a weak spot and and it can actually freeze the the tree oh i see okay but on unmature apple trees you really can you really can prune about any time in the winter okay like middle january you could yeah like some some farmers that had their you know that do most of the work themselves winter is you know the the time right they're available and Mm -hmm. so they'll get out but there's some disadvantages because some years you have deep snow and it's really hard to maneuver if you have snow up to your knees and so typically like a really good time to do it is is march and april um to do the pruning and so because the because the um, seasonal worker program that we're involved in um, is just an eight eight month um, is the maximum that they can be in the country in a year, and we need them till the beginning of November because harvest goes till the first week in November. So we it kind of developed from that that we would bring them in early March to middle March so that they could for sure stay for the length of harvest. And we found that usually we can get the pruning done in time, even when we start um, middle of March. So that's, that's kind of what it's become for us is the pruning starts when our, when our, um, offshore workers arrive sometimes a few of our regular um guys we have we have about 10 guys that are full-time all winter and they're doing maintenance projects fixing the equipment making sure it's ready to go and there's always bunkhouse maintenance which is where our um where our seasonal guys say like part of it is part of that program we have to supply the housing for right. them and so there's always a bunch of maintenance to do on that housing to get ready for the next year again and just different winter projects like that if they have any spare time they they could always go out and prune but usually not much pruning happens done, yeah. so when you're what's the the main goal when pruning what we talked about a little bit before but what are you trying to do when when uh when you're pruning or what would what would be lacking if you wouldn't prune so the um you need light light penetration for good quality fruit so a big part of pruning is opening up the tree getting rid of we call them suckers they're they're um twigs that grow up the top of the tree and they grow straight up and and uh, all they end up doing is growing a lot of leaves and blocking the sun from the from the fruit bearing branches. And then sometimes you need to remove some of the fruit bearing branches too, just because there's too many, and you want to keep a, a open tree. Um, it also helps for disease and insect management if you have a good open tree that the wind can blow through oh, a lot okay. of the disease and insects if it's if it's really a 
a tight canopy that the sun can't penetrate and the wind can't blow in through or whatever then and also the the spray the chemical can't get in there as well then either and so then it becomes a haven for for insects or oh, disease yeah. in the middle of the tree i never thought about that part of it before yeah and it's also renewal like so so sometimes you're removing old fruiting wood so that younger fruiting wood because on younger fruiting wood you get the best fruit it's it's easier to get uh, okay. good size so it's a quality thing again but you need to keep rotating the the wood it just keeps it keeps the tree vibrant i see mm -hmm. so back to the the light part of it does the fruit itself need to to be receiving sunlight or is it just the the leaves on the fruit bearing branches that need to be hit with light no the fruit itself needs light okay. as well yeah so i mean for color mm -hmm. for one thing um but so one of the we didn't talk really about what has changed about managing orchard over the last oh, that's 40 true. years yeah, yeah. go but, ahead there <clears throat> But one big thing that's changed is we grow um, our trees all on a, a trellis system. So it's the training system. So with those semi-dwarf trees that I talked about earlier, um, they got pretty big and wide. Right. And so they, they grow a lot of apples, but there's a lot of apples that grow in the center of that tree that <clears throat> that the sunlight can't get to and so they they're probably a poor color so if it's a if it's a fruit that's supposed to have a red color those ones in the center of the tree that never see the sunlight they just will never get much color okay and so if you were fine with growing half of your fruit for processing that's fine they don't need to have right they don't need to have if they're being used for apple juice or applesauce or apple pie you don't need color, but we're focusing on the fresh market. And so there's certain qualities that the standards that they have to meet as far as mm -hmm. color and, and quality, no defects. Um, so we're, we're targeting the fresh market for the stores. And, and so the more fruit that you can grow, um, that gets, um, sun penetration. So when we, grow them on trellis we're keeping a very narrow tree so there's there's different training systems there's what they call a super spindle where they almost the fruit is almost growing like just on the main trunk of the tree okay so there's hardly um, any just, branches yeah like no more it. than like six inches or so I off see. of the okay. and then they plant the trees really close together right. like yeah. just a foot or a foot and a half apart um, where, um, we would, we would grow more like, uh, I, I think it's called a sl slender spindle. Um, so we're, we're still allowing branches to come out, but no more than like about two feet off of the, off of the trunk of the tree. Like you don't let the branches get longer than about two feet. And our training system, the the system that we've been using is the trees are three feet apart in the row. Right. And the rows are 12 and a half feet 
apart. And at mm-hmm. that at that planting, you have um, eleven hundred and sixty two trees, I think, per acre. Okay. Where, when we, when we planted those first semi dwarfs, when uh, <laughs> in nineteen seventy, that would have just been eighty or a hundred trees per acre. Okay. But then we had moved to to dwarf dwarf trees, but still a rootstock that that was uh, strong enough to support itself or at least to support itself with just a stake. Like you'd put a stake to every tree. Yeah. I remember those trees with the, with the stake with each one. Yeah. And so then we were, we were planting those trees like eight feet apart in the row and maybe the rows 16 feet wide. And so then that, that kind of planting you have, 250, 300, maybe 350 trees to an acre. So that's that was most of the planting that we were doing until uh, 2008. Um, we had done a few samples of, of trellis trees before that. We have a few up here in Waterloo okay. that were, Those are your first that were ones earlier than yeah. that. But then... Uh, it was in 2008 when we started replanting everything. So in, we've systematically been pulling out the older orchard in Vienna and replanting with with what we call high density. Mm-hmm. Um, and on this slender spindle system. And so now we've replanted um, 500... 550 of those 700 acres so we just have another 150 or 200 to go and then then we'll have uh, replanted everything since 2008 down there so the the training system of trees has trained has changed dramatically right it does so i think you get a little a little higher production per acre but for sure you get much higher production of of uh fresh market fruit the color is way better yeah Yeah. size is better right um like you're only growing a bushel to a bushel and a half fruit per tree okay rather Mm -hmm. than five or on those big semi-dwarf trees maybe you were aiming for more like eight to ten okay and on those big standard trees that i i'd hear guys brag about oh they picked 40 bushel off of one tree i remember we got 30 <laughs> bushel off the one in front of our um our house here one time when our when we did a little family picking or close to 30 anyway and it was over a bin anyway so and that is actually a dwarf tree that one in our front yard okay but it's a dwarf it's a fairly vigorous dwarf root stock and it it was it had, allowed to grow? It had it, lots of room because yeah, yeah. it wasn't crowded or anything by yeah. other trees around it. So, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, I was going to, you, you said that it doesn't, it gives you about the same amount of yield on an acre as, as the old system would have. It's, it's a little higher. I, okay. I, I so think, but higher, there was yeah. like the, the, this, we were, you know, down to, six or seven feet apart in the row and maybe 15 and and you know some of those trees you'd get five bushel off of a tree and so 
but still then there was more fruit in, in the, the middle, middle of yeah. that tree yeah. and so mm-hmm. and it's also easier it's easier to much easier to manage for pruning like on these train systems so it, it was i'd say it was easier to train new people to prune on a on a trellis system oh okay because you kind of you say you know it shouldn't stick further than this out in the yep. row like and there's a little little more parameters for them to recognize yeah maybe than than just the feel of it yeah and there there's we still we still let like the tree wants to grow to 12 feet so we're still like our our trellis systems are are built to 12 feet so um the the tree wants to grow anyway and so you still get much better production if you use that full height if you try and keep it low enough so that you can do all your harvesting and all your work from the ground well that's nice that you don't need the ladders but but then you lose a lot of production because the tree wants to grow that tall anyway so it'll put its energy into putting the branches up rather than producing fruit or it's more likely to do that is that that what you run into if you keep chopping it down yeah it's it's hard to to keep the vigor down okay yeah to that because it it wants to grow and so then and so it's easier to to manage it plus you get much more production per acre if you if you're using that using that the three Full. dimensions yeah um is it possible to get trees that are bred to 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 be shorter than 12 feet like are there options there when you yeah there there's there's lower like it's all dwarf rootstock but in dwarf rootstock there's there's many different beggars like they're they're always working at producing okay. different rootstocks and and so you can get some pretty low vigor rootstocks, but but you also um, if you get too low vigor, then you might also have a hard time producing the size fruit that you want. And so it's um, we're always um, trying different rootstocks and okay. seeing which. Yeah. And it's some varieties like a certain rootstock will work better for. For Honeycrisp, for example, and maybe another rootstock works better for um, Ambrosia because some varieties are more vigorous than others. And so if it's a really vigorous variety, then you need a lower vigor rootstock. And if it's a a lower vigor variety, then you need a higher vigor rootstock. So just since we're talking about rootstock, let's talk a little bit about planting trees and and maybe even getting a little bit into or just talking a little bit about, about nursery um, work that kind of thing. So it, I'm correct in saying that that the root is actually separate from the the stock that produces the the variety. Am I saying that correctly? And they have to be grafted together. Right. So um, I don't even know much about okay. all the process of producing the root. Mm-hmm. Um, they have different methods of that too. And I know that, that they've started like doing a tissue culture. Um, oh, okay. So they, they produce a rootstock through tissue culture. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's just taking like a piece of the root and, 
and putting it in water and yeah we learned a little bit about that in the the plank course that i took this uh this past year so that i don't know much about it either but i that is that is something that i came across occasionally so so if you plant an apple seed you'll get an apple tree but it it won't be the variety it won't be a specific variety it'll be a wild okay wild uh, variety and so to get a specific variety they take uh sign scion it's called okay. it's just a, a branch um and they just they just need like three buds or so three or four buds so like if they cut a long one off they'll they'll cut it into five or six pieces and then they'll they'll uh graft that on to the the rootstock so they're taking a branch like from a variety like ambrosia right and then that they graft onto these rootstock and then that makes that tree an ambrosia when it gets planted in an orchard that's right okay so the the nursery that we deal with mostly like they come out to our orchard and cut a whole bunch of this sign wood oh they'll take your your yeah. own varieties to make yeah. sure you're getting the same yeah. fruit okay and so in a variety too, there's a whole bunch of different, um, kind of like strains. Yeah, or, strains. That's where I'm because thinking. yeah, because I remember when we were packing, you'd you'd be packing Red Delicious or Ambrosia, and and you could tell differences in in the types of of Red Delicious or Ambrosia. So is that because so in in Gala, for example, there's we have probably eight different strains of yeah. gala in our orchard and you see slight differences in harvest time that they're ready and some okay. yep. some color they're always working and this is another area that i know very little about as far as how they actually do the breeding to like there there's the <clears throat> there's creating new varieties right so like Empire, for example, was back when I was young, was a new variety that was a cross between Macintosh and Red Delicious. And most new varieties are a cross of of two varieties that they think would make a good fit, mm-hmm. and if they put them together, they'd get an even better variety. Or, but um, but then strains, like that's just improving the genetics of. A specific variety it doesn't like the it tastes the same but they can get a they can somehow with uh, breeding they can mm-hmm. improve the variety so that you get a little bit higher color so if right. like honey crisp for example um it was really challenging that one of the challenges of honey crisp honey crisp has many challenges but one of the challenges of honey crisp is color and so they've bred some new varieties now that one is called premium honey crisp and and that's just tweaking to, the the strain of the of the of the variety to to try to make it a little more marketable right so it, it's yeah you get higher color on it mm-hmm. um, yeah and so gala has different strains to higher colored strains and okay lower colored strains and red delicious do as well there's yeah huge differences and and they can be striped and they can be solid red um in the same variety 
like some people wouldn't believe that it's the same variety. One's yeah. very striped and one's even Macintosh, like Macintosh has a strain that's very striped and right. but most of them are just more a solid red green. So but you you don't want you don't want a strain to be too different than the, the typical part of right, it. Right, or you or couldn't it confuses, sell it. Yeah. confuses people because they're yeah. not believing that they're buying what right. they see. So going back to the, the rootstock, is it the rootstock that determines how fast the tree grows or or how how quickly the branches grow? Is that what you were meaning by vigor when you were talking about the vigor of a tree? Yes, um, vigor does, it has, to, with how big the tree gets too. Right. But, yeah. but uh, if it has too high vigor, then it, it wants to grow wild. And when, then you cut, you have to cut a bunch of those suckers off to, or, you know, cut it back and then it, that just tells it to really like the more you cut on a tree, then it's it, it cutting induces vigor, and so oh okay. Yeah. So if you have to do too much cutting, then you're just you're always fighting with it because it really grew, and you try and cut it back, and then it just grows okay. all the more, and then it creates a lot of work in pruning, and and does that mean harder. the fruit isn't as as nice either if. Well, it, it can it can be, um, you know, because it wants to grow a whole bunch of branches and leaves, and and then it blocks the sun again. And right. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's that's very important to match the the rootstock to the variety to get, okay. so that you get the the right vigor, and that's something that we're still we're still learning. But you know, as I as I watch. So there, there's a new line of rootstocks, um, Geneva, that um, was that they came up with in New York, okay. um, just ten years or so ago, and that's the most common rootstock that we've been planting lately. But I've been discovering that there's some you know quirks about these rootstocks, okay. and you know some of them might thin a little bit easier and when they're young trees and just different things like that. So there's all kinds of things to learn about new rootstocks. And it takes a while to find out those things, I guess. <laughs> yeah. an orchard, you don't know that your first first year or two. And then it's different different on different varieties too. Right? Oh, yeah. So if you use the same rootstock for all the varieties, you'll see different. So different. A, another challenge with Honeycrisp is, is Bitter Pit. I mentioned one of the challenges is color. What is bitter pit? Bitter pit is a low calcium. It's calcium deficiency. And what does and it? It's a black. It develops like as a black spot, but it goes all the way into the oh into the core. So when you when you'd cut the actual fruit that gets picked, you'd see you'd see this black tunnels right into the core. Oh, I see. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. But um, so. Uh, if you have too high a vigor um, tree, you tend to get more of that, um, more of the bitter pit. Okay. So you and, have to watch that with the, with the Honeycrisp. But then Honeycrisp is one of the, the s varieties that doesn't 
grow um, grow it's a lower vigor variety and so it's tempting to use the higher vigor so that you get the big tree but then you have to watch that you don't have too high a vigor that that you get a lot of the bitter pit problems okay yeah well was there uh, were there other things that you were you wanted to say about um how managing an orchard has changed with uh, you, you talked about. We were kind of talking about pruning, and we'll get back to moving through the through the apple season. But um, were there other things that you specifically picked out? Well, there's one other big change that I think about is um, is the food safety aspect mm-hmm. of it. Um, so we're we're Canada Gap certified on all our orchards and all the growers that supply apples to us are Canada Gap certified as well. So there's very stringent regulations on chemical use and picking practices, like cleanliness, whatever, okay. in, mm-hmm. in the orchard. And and just you have to pass an audit every year um, that shows that you're, that you're meeting these standards and i i think back to when i helped my dad spray apple trees back when i was young we had this box type sprayer that you could actually sit on the sprayer and we did i mean we just had a little orchard then right right but dad would drive the tractor and we had these guns and so he'd run the one gun and spray the, the trees in the one row, and one of us boys would sit on the back of the sprayer and spray the trees the other row. And, and we didn't even think anything of wearing protective gear or, or anything. You know, most of the spray didn't hit us, but sometimes, you know, if it was, the wind was going the right direction or you turned the corner at the end or whatever, then the spray would hit you. Well, now we, we spray all and in cab tractors and we use tower um, sprayers in all our orchards um, so a tower sprayer is the the tower on the back of the sprayer is actually the height of the pretty much the height of the tree right and so it's just spraying directly sideways into the tree and um, and these trees aren't near as big and wide is so that it only has to penetrate you know those three feet or whatever right into the tree and and so you you could just do a lot better job of of getting the the chemical right where you want it and you don't have a lot blowing in the the air oh yeah not as much overspray yeah yeah well that would that would cut down too on on the amount like doesn't that save chemical in the end too if you um, or save resources if you're getting it all where you want it to go. Yes, so you can use you can use lower rates. Yeah, and so we have also been involved in IPM integrated pest management, where we actually put traps out in the orchard mm-hmm. where you trap insects, and then you see when when you're catching a certain amount of adults of a particular insect. So you know when the exact prime time is to 
to target those insects okay. with yeah. a spray. And so you're not just guessing, oh, it must be about time to to spray again. So you're there's more it's more targeted. So right, it, yeah. Um not takes more of the guesswork out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh and chemicals I mean that's another big change is a lot of chemicals that were available to us um years ago are no longer available because they've been deemed too potent or unsafe or right. whatever and and so um there's there's very rigorous uh, methods that are used to test any chemicals that we're allowed to use and and we have very rigorous uh harvest like dates to harvest that um that you're not to use it before and so right really when when those fruit are harvested um they're very safe like i i eat apples right out of the orchard um because i know that we've been following practice that are safe and so there's there's basically zero residue on those apples mm-hmm. when it's time to harvest them and uh so i i don't have any problem with people washing their fruit um i mean all the fruit gets washed when it when it goes to the store because it runs over the packing line and and gets washed but well but actually w- it's safe to use oh yeah right well I, I would wash it just uh because i don't know who's all handled it between uh between exactly the packing yeah. line and, and the, there there can be dirt and whatever yeah. on it or whatever yeah. but but um but as you have strict you're saying you you follow strict regulations in in ensuring that that there's not pesticide remaining on the fruit when it's picked and and that kind of thing you can feel very confident that it's a safe healthy product right yeah that uh, that you're getting going back to to when you were younger and you sat on the back of the the sprayer and used guns to to spray the trees was it just that that you didn't realize what uh what you were doing and some of the safety standards you should have had or was everyone unaware of of uh of maybe some of the safety things they should have been doing well i i think i think yeah people were more unaware of potential long-term um problems that it could cause like cancer Mm -hmm. or those kinds of things so I I recommend I don't recommend uh anybody going back to the way that that we did right yeah um back then but it is true that the most the chemical in its pure state is where it's really dangerous like once it's been tank mixed with the water it's oh, yeah. it's way uh it's way decreased. You're, di- and, you're diluting it quite a yeah. bit to put it onto the trees, yeah. So, you're you're not getting the the full force of it, but it's it's still wise to avoid contact with that. Right, yeah. And it might. I mean, it might not affect everyone, but even if you're increasing your chance of getting cancer by thirty percent, then it's probably best not to not to deal with something that. That could in, could increase your chances if it is possible to avoid it. That's right. 
and so far it's never caused me any problem what what I did as a right. boy back then but but who knows like it could you know I could get cancer at 75 and it might be partly related to to something back then I don't know yeah well and I mean it's not just that like there's so many things that that researchers have discovered over the last 30 40 50 years that they've realized were were harmful and and like whether it's pollution or or foods that we eat and there's been all kinds of regulations that have put on been put in in the last number of years that that construction materials that kind of thing that right that's as, been changed as, yeah. as we learn right more of these things it's wise to be more careful with them when mm-hmm. we can yeah yeah well let's uh let's go back to going through um some of the steps that uh, that are involved in in the season of growing apples so we we hit pruning you get the pruning done what's the next uh thing that an orchard manager needs to take care of well so the the spraying is uh starts um as soon as you have any green tissue showing so that's just a bud yeah okay so as soon as those first buds start to open and you have a little bit of green leaf showing that's when <clears throat> that's when the spray program has to start and the reason for that is it's for disease um particularly scab scab is one of the the biggest um issues for growing apples in our climate because we have a lot of rain and humidity and um scab if you get scab in an orchard the scab spores will just win over winter there like scab develops on the leaf so this is a fungus or what it's is a fungus okay yeah. yeah scab is a fungus that develops on the leaf of the apple first and then it passes from the leaf to the app to the actual fruit and it becomes like a rough lesion on the fruit but if you get scab in your orchard, it, once you get it, it's really hard to get rid of it because those leaves, when they, at, in the winter, they just fall on the ground. Well, then they're dormant there until the spring. But if those, if those leaves had scab on them the previous year, then as soon as it starts getting warm and raining in the spring, then those scab spores come up off of those leaves and they get right onto the the next the new leaves oh i see okay that are there so if you had scab the year before then then it's really high priority that you that you have covered but even if you haven't had it the year before it it you you don't get it quite as easily but but they'll come you have in. To they'll, be they'll blow in from it. somewhere oh yeah another <laughs> another farm or something like that yeah yeah and mm-hmm. and um so, so it's a, we call it a cover, it's a fungicide um, for diseases like scab and another one is powdery mildew. Okay. It would be two of the main um, diseases. And then um, more in the, like, after once you get to the blossom period and after then is when you 
need the insecticides for insects like codling moth and oriental fruit moth and uh, apple maggot. They're all, they're all uh, those worms that want to tunnel into the apple. Those are the famous worms in the <coughs> apple that you see? That's right, okay. yeah. Does every, every um, geography that grows apples deal with that, or are you dealing with different insect pests than other areas of the world are? No, I have every, I think, I mean, there's maybe slightly different ones in different areas or whatever, but, but um, apples have, apples have more pests than any other really? fruit. Okay. Um, that's been said. And so one that's one of the reasons um apples is a is a cold climate fruit. Like it, it they're only growing in areas where where um there's a a dormant stage where it actually gets cold enough okay. in the winter, mm-hmm. like for them to drop their leaves and um so like there's in the Countries close to the equator, apples is not a not a tropical fruit. No, apples can't be growing at all. Like they're so. Then in the southern hemisphere, when you're far enough south that they have their their winter at the opposite time that we do. Then so like New Zealand and South Africa and Chile, those are some southern hemisphere countries that okay. can grow apples, but um. A lot of a lot of African countries they're too close to the equator. Okay, so it have to like South Africa's basically the the main one that that's cold enough to grow apples. Yes. Okay. So like, there's a lot of European countries that grow apples. Right. Does Russia? Russia grows like apples. South Russia. China in certain areas, like okay. China is is a big apple growing. And then northern country. northern U.S. and southern Canada. Yeah, like so, like the southern U.S. states, um, northern California. Well, northern California is about the same. That's about where dis- we are. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there is some apples grow in northern California, but Washington is the big apple growing area in the U.S. They uh, Washington grows um, uh, more than all the rest of the states put together. Okay by a significant amount. Does it grow more than the rest of the world? No. No, okay. No. Is U.S. the biggest apple producer? Or? No. Oh, really? Okay. A, um, China's the biggest apple oh, okay. producer. Uh, I didn't know that. Yet. But, um, and some of the Italy and France would be similar to the U.S. in apple production. Germany is another big one in okay. Europe. <laughs> Um, and then Chile is Chile and New Zealand are both big apple producers okay. too. Is they, can is Canada pretty low on that list? Canada is very low on that list. <laughs> Just because there's not many places in Canada where you actually can, because it's because it's too cold most of the most of Canada, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and yeah, like even like in the prairies there's there's no it gets too cold in the winter oh i see okay so that there's the there's the line it it needs to be cold enough in the winters that you have dormant but 
if it's too cold, then the wind, it can't get more than about uh, 25 to 30, mi minus 25 or 30 Celsius. That's about okay. maximum. There is a few like real hardy rootstocks that you could maybe plant that can do a little bit colder than that. Um, like up in northern Wisconsin where my wife comes from, I know there was some guys who were playing around with um, trees that were rootstocks that were meant for colder climates. Okay. But, but you can't get can't get much colder than that and okay. they, they'll freeze out in the winter yeah which uh which province grows the most apples um ontario is probably number one most years but ontario and bc are really close the same and quebec is just close behind too. okay so those three those three provinces are all quite similar yeah. And then Nova Scotia is the other one that has a significant amount of apples. Okay. And New Brunswick has a few. Isn't BC, they'd be quite a bit north of us here in southern Ontario, not? Yeah, but BC has a moderate climate on the other side of the mountains. Oh, right. The, okay. From, from the, ocean. the ocean. Okay. And there's a particularly one valley, the Okanagan Valley. Which right, which travels right where all the apples are growing in Washington. Oh, okay. That valley kind of travels right north into BC, and that's where uh, that's where a lot of the apples. So it's are kind of the same the... geographic area as Washington State, where where so many apples are grown. Yes, it okay. is. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about pests that the that you're dealing with. So you're spraying through for those throughout the summer, or is that a specific time in the in the spring or summer or no you you need to spray um so like for for scab and disease like if you have that under control um into june about the time of year we are now then you can really back off on on that um, if you don't have it under control then you have to really keep oh, okay. spraying Right up because they keep harvest. reproducing, or why is that? Well, see, if you get the scab on the leaves, oh, the scab, right? Then you then it wants to travel from the leaves to the apples, and so then you have to keep fighting it to try and keep it off of the apples. Okay, but if you if you have good control of it early, and you don't get it on the leaves, and then it's then you don't have to keep fighting i mean you, it's much uh, right, easier to keep control yeah. yeah but then the in the some of the insects their prime time is the middle of the summer and so it, in the in the summer it tends to switch to from weekly spraying to you know just every other week or okay. might even you might even get as long as three weeks sometimes in the later summer mm -hmm. and you're making those decisions depending on just looking at the orchard or you said you're taking you're trapping insects to see what's there or how many are there is that is that how you make some of those decisions yeah and and weather conditions can make it like, okay especially yeah. like in the early part of the year depending how much rainfall you have it, that's that's huge for the scab infection mm -hmm. 
Um, so you have to be covered every every time you have rain, or if you have a lot of rain, it washes washes it off, and then then, oh, you, I then see. you're not covered for the next time. So you're if you've sprayed, and then a couple of days later you have a rain, well, you were covered for that one, but now you might not be covered for the next one. And okay. So yeah. it it can depend how much rainfall you have. Gotcha. Where out in a in a climate like Washington, they don't have they have very little rainfall. They're they're growing apples in a in a more uh, desert climate. Okay. But they they depend mostly on irrigation. And. Uh, but that makes the pest control easier. Yeah, for the, the disease control, for sure. Okay. Yeah. They they still have the same pests, those worms, like that. They're not right. That doesn't have to do with the rain. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, going back to um, the beginning of the year. So with blossom, how? Um, what's the purpose of of uh, bringing in the bees and and um, making sure of of the or yeah? How does that? How do you decide when to do that? And how how does that work? Well, bees are very key for uh, for pollination in the orchard. Um, each flower needs to be pollinated in order to to produce a, a fruit, and um, so wind, wild bees. Um, wild bees do a lot of pollination, but, um, because we have so much, uh, orchard concentrated in one area, um, it just seems like a smart investment to, to hire, um, bees to be brought in to help out in the, with the pollination. Some years... Um, you might only get one really good day during blossom when, you know, oh, really? when, when the okay. bees can really work and needs to know, be a nice sunny if, day. If you have cool, if you have cool rainy oh, cool. weather during bloom, then it's, it's poor pollination weather. And so you want, you really want as much help as you can get this year. Um, we had like three or four really really warm days right during bloom and so then bloom is really quick from when the flowers open to when the petals fall um when you have hot weather like that during bloom but um they had the bees had three or four good days to they could work all day every day and so when you have hot weather like that during bloom then you tend to have really strong set really good pollination i mean the first thing is that you need you need the flowers right like like i had mentioned earlier some varieties tend to be biannual where they just they produce a really heavy crop one year and then they can be next to nothing the next year and so one of the orchard management things that we really need to work with um is making sure that the 
they get thinned properly early because that really affects the it's a tree is producing its fruit buds for the next year in june already june and maybe early part of july so right and now it's producing the buds for, for 2021 year, that's right okay and so if the if the tree is really loaded and stressed when it's supposed to be producing the fruit buds for the next year then the the tree will tell it to, to take a rest oh okay that's interesting and, i didn't know that and some varieties particularly are that way and so by doing proper by doing chemical thinning some guys even do blossom thinning like they they hit the blossoms with a, a thinner okay but mm -hmm. by doing that thinning early then um, you're taking the stress away from the tree and you're helping the tree to know that it can produce a normal crop again right. the next year. And there'd be no way to do that by hand. And the later, they... no, and the later those apples, the longer, so if you're depending just on hand thinning to get them all off, then the tree's under stress for a good part of the summer and right, yeah. spending all that energy and growing all these fruit that it can't actually hold. And then, then the trees too stressed that can even happen if if you don't get the fruit off at the right time like some varieties like gala really hold their fruit like even though they're ripe they don't drop some okay some as soon as they get ripe they, they drop dropping they, yeah or gala they they tend to really hang on they're a little bit harder apple to pick and um so if you leave, if you don't get to the gale on time, then that can affect your crop the next year okay. too. It won't produce because they were it was holding those apples and stressing out all that extra time. So, mm -hmm. so that it's, and so nutrition is another thing that we do. Like we don't only spray chemicals; we also spray nutrients. So, right. um, on the, um, we feed, we feed, uh, fertilizers in through the soil every year too, like a granular fertilizer, but a lot of the, you get quicker action through f foliar, um, fertilizers. Okay. So, so you need a, a healthy tree the whole way through the season because there's so many things um, affecting the the next year um, so another we mentioned uh, the fungus like scabs and we mentioned insects another pest that's a problem is mites okay um, and so they they feed on the leaves and, oh, yeah. and uh, the leaf will leaf will turn all bronze or whatever but then that really affects the health of the tree and so it affects the growth of your fruit because the leaf can't take in all those nutrients that the sun wants to feed it and right and uh so mites is another thing if one that you have to um usually it's just a, a one time a year thing if you uh get it right a mite aside that um keeps those mites from feeding on the leaves mm -hmm. 
so that's that's another um challenge um another um thing that we do is is um the herbicide so like in the tree row we don't want grass and weeds and growing there because they compete with the roots of the tree and they steal a bunch of those nutrients in oh, the ground okay. from the tree that we want going into the tree and so so we'll do a, a herb spray to try and keep the the um, I always thought that was just to make it look nicer but they're actually they're taking key nutrients away from the tree if if they're left there that's right, and okay. they, they some of them can be a real pain too because they grow right up into the tree. And oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was actually noticing that when I was spraying a couple of days ago that there's a few like trees that have vines that look like they've taken they've, they've completely taken over the tree and doesn't seem like it. It's really good for the health of the tree. Yeah, no, you don't want that. So, you, um, yeah, we talked a little bit about thinning. Um, Obviously, like you talked about how it's important for for the health of the tree or for the production of the tree the next year because of the buds, but it also, it's really important in getting the size of the fruit to to be large enough for for sale as well, right? Right. So you kind of know what you want, what you, what a tree can produce, mm -hmm. like approximately a bushel and so you can get a bushel of 130 small apples right or 75 big apples and it's the same bushel but those 75 big apples are a lot more valuable than uh, the 130 small ones right I mean, if, if they're too small they don't even meet size for grade but but then there's also like a lot of the small ones will go in a bag which is a a lower end, um, lower pricing than the large fruit that gets sold by the pound. Right. Um, so a lot of time you're trying for, you don't want too big, but, but most of the time it's, there's some, some varieties that tend to be large. Honeycrisp is okay. one that, that you can get too big, but, but most of the varieties that we deal with, Gale Ambrosia, the the struggle is to get them to the size that you want. That's the, for maximum potential for return. Mm -hmm. So any, anything else that you're doing throughout there that's, that's really key throughout the year before you get to harvest then? So, well, one thing that generally happens in the summer that I had mentioned is happening right now is the, the trellis building doesn't mm -hmm. really have anything to do with this particular right. crop except there's there's maybe a little bit of tying like so um new growth on trees or whatever that um you know they've grown taller they're getting closer to the top of the wire they need to be tied again up at the top but another thing that does happen so this this isn't as much in the trellis like we're growing now is is in the old style but we used to do quite a bit of summer pruning right yeah. on some varieties um just a few weeks before harvest and that's because some of them have really produced a bunch of suckers again 
and and the top of the tree and they're really blocking light oh, okay and so if you cut those suckers off and the light can penetrate the fruit a lot better um so are you actually cutting off branches that are holding fruit when you're doing that very little it's okay most, they're mostly, it's mostly just, just suckers that, yeah yeah interesting so and that's that's called summer pruning and if we're if we're caught up on on um everything else then we'll usually do a little bit of that just to, for better light penetration before harvest and it also it saves a little bit of cutting the next spring then like oh it's, yeah it's so kind of giving you a head start on yeah. on next spring's pruning if if you do some summer pruning so so that's kind of just usually is what you what you have time for um another th project that that happens every time just before harvest is is um sanitizing all the the bins the containers that we pick the fruit in oh okay so we'll we'll uh sanitize all of them and haul them out to the orchard um mm -hmm. get them ready to ready to harvest Mm -hmm. And so harvest lasts for how many months? Well, there's a few varieties that get harvested in August. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the main harvest doesn't start until early September. And then once, once those varieties, which like the the august varieties are not um not for storage like they will only keep a month or two right yeah but then the the varieties that we start harvesting in september like mac and gala and honeycrisp are the first three in september then those varieties you can basically put into story long-term storage and and keep all winter they have that potential so they're right. like like winter varieties i mean they they can store well yeah what's the what's the most stressful part of the of the season i think that uh thinning is is the most stressful part because you have such uh a short uh, window and it's so crucial and if you yeah. if you over thin you feel so bad that you knocked off all that potential good fruit right and if you under thin you create a lot of extra work and lower return for your fruit because you get it's a lot of extra work to do the hand thinning, but it's also a lot of extra work in harvest. Like if you think about how right. much how much longer it takes to pick a bin that has three thousand apples in it versus eighteen hundred apples. Yeah, <clears throat> and your hand has to do twice the work because I mean, you can only pick one. In, right. Uh, well, yeah. maybe more than one, but um, you still have to touch every apple. So it's going to yeah. take that much longer. Yeah. I never thought about that before. And then you're affecting next year, like you said too, with, if you don't, don't thin hard enough. Right. Right. If you're stressing the tree too much. Yeah. So we, we keep very, 
very specific records for our thinning of the rates we used and the dates we did it. But then the weather can still affect it so much, like the thinner works better if it's really warm. And, oh, yeah. And like you said, not we... as good. It's, so then, then sometimes, and sometimes you maybe had some stress, maybe you had some frost, a little bit of frost damage, and you're not really sure how much that affected um, the health of those fruit buds. And mm -hmm. so because of that, they thin a little bit easier. And oh, yeah. There's just so many. So you just, and, and you can't see the full effects of the thinning until a few weeks okay. after. And I probably, you know, you probably should just stay out of the orchard for three weeks after <laughs> but, but, uh, but I'm, I'm in there just trying days to figure after out trying to figure out if it, <clears throat> if it did what it's supposed to yeah but um so yeah that is that's uh, such a crucial part of it and it's it's always scary but the more you do of it and the more you see the results and you just it it's pretty consistent and if you if you stay if you take keep good records and mm -hmm. careful with that you do it and then it seems like it it works quite well yeah well i would that that's really interesting i would not have guessed that that and i don't think i would have picked that out as uh as what your answer would be but that's it's really interesting to hear what's the most enjoyable part of the season oh harvest is definitely the most enjoyable part um that one i uh, guess correctly that was what that's what i was <laughs> guessing in my head but it, that harvest can be very stressful too because there's so many uh thing getting the timing right, right and and if you have a depending on the weather um if you get a real hot spell or whatever, then you can all of a sudden have a whole bunch of fruit ripe at the, oh, right. at the same time. And it's, um, do you start if, losing if it? They start, too? If they start dropping, yeah. if they start dropping on you, then that's, uh, that's stressful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, um, but no, so if, if you have a, if you have a good crop, um, then, then harvest is definitely the most enjoyable yeah. part of the season. Seeing all that hard work pay off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've uh, probably mentioned some of them, but can you just list a few of the the hazards that you have to worry about throughout throughout a year? Maybe some of the ones that we haven't talked about so far specifically. Yeah. So we've kind of covered the. I mean the hazard pests. of pests yeah. and disease yeah that's certainly a big one for apples but then besides that um frost is is a huge one frost during bloom or or even just before the the blossom stage can do a lot of damage right um so they're they're the most susceptible right just at the pink stage that like the pink stage is just before the flower totally opens like it looks pink it looks pink so okay, you can yeah. see the flower already but it's it's not open yet mm -hmm. that's the pink stage then when it's open those are the two times where they're the most susceptible and uh 
So we always like if it tends to be a late spring because there's less chance of frost during bloom. And this year was a good example. In early May, um, at a stage where sometimes we're already into bloom, we had a really cold spell where right, we had yeah. we had f hard frost seven out of ten nights but it was and all before that keys it was all before stage. the flowers were open like they we were still at what most of them were still at the tight cluster stage up in waterloo we were even not even quite at tight cluster stage and so they were able to take much colder temperatures than they would have at the flowering stage okay but we do so one of the things that we've been doing in our in our um, high density orchards is we've been putting in frost fans which um, help to in those frost situations so like on a morning a lot of times you hit that uh, cold coldest temperature is just before the sun rises on a clear morning okay mm -hmm. and if it's clear and still that's when you get the frost and especially in the, the low areas where these uh these fans that we put in they rotate and they cover like a, a 10 to 15 acre segment okay and they do two things they keep the air moving so they're blowing. So, like every minute or so, all the all those leaves get a, a real wind, um, and so frost can't settle on the oh, on okay. those flowers <laughs> or those leaves because of the movement. So, like on a windy morning, you don't have frost settled in because the air keeps moving. So it's actually the the frost, like the 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 water vapor freezing on the leaf that or on the bud or whatever that, that, that causes the issue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so well, the, the, it's the cold temperature because one of the, one of the ways we, like we use this wind as I'm talking to protect. So the other thing it does is you can actually change the temperature by a degree or two because the warmer air rises 10, 12 feet in the air and these fans suck that warmer air back down to keep it circulating and, so, and yeah. so it's mixing that air and so you can actually change like when we start these fans up um you sometimes see a change of a degree or two in okay yeah in the first half hour so that so the, that you started them it the air movement the, and the temperature change can help to protect the right from the could, frost, yeah. sometimes it's just you know one degree can make a huge difference okay. yeah. when you're right at that freezing temperature is it right at freezing? But, like if it went down to minus one, is that where it will freeze out the the apple tree or like the crop for that year? Well, no, I mean, minus one will do some damage and then minus two will do significant more amount of damage okay. and minus three will, you know, they, they kind of have, there's a model that you can look at that what they say. Um, if it's at this stage, if it, you're at oh, the I blossom yeah. stage and you get minus two, then you can expect this percentage of the fruit to have been frozen out. Gotcha, yeah. So another way to protect 
fruit is by overhead irrigation. But you really need a large water supply because you have to keep the water. You can't. You have to keep the water running the whole time um, during the the cold segment. Like it has to be constantly hitting the tree, or not? Yeah. Okay. Because if you stop the water, if you run oh, out of freeze, water, yeah. and then it'll it'll freeze on yeah. there. But like it'll have, it actually builds up ice around that blossom. But it that uh, that just works like insulation. It's, it's oh really that, okay. It's that little that little uh, segment in the middle there. That's that key part. Uh, you can in about a day after you have frost, then you can pinch the back of the buds, and you can see if it's black in there. Then you know it was frozen. Okay. Uh-huh. So frost is a big one, um, and another. Uh, between frost and hail are the two biggest uh, dangers that we have in the apple industry. So um, hail is something that you just, you never know <laughs> when when you get it. Um, so a lot of, uh, I mean, the best protection against hail is um, hail netting. Um, but it's very, very expensive to install, and and you have to um, you have to put it up every year. But it it actually it's covering right over top of the trees. Okay. So we have the trellis system in place, like the posts, and so like we've been the last number of years, we've been putting you know posts tall enough so that we could put this hail netting on top and still be able to get underneath with our tractors and sprayers and oh, okay, stuff. Yeah. But um, so far we haven't done that. I mean, it's, it's more one of the, one of the things with hail is it tends to be spotty. And so if your orchards are in a bunch of different locations, at least it's less likely that all of your, locations will get hit. You usually won't get a hailstorm that hits a large area large enough area to cover all of your all of your orchards, yeah. Right. But it could. I mean it's Okay. There's no <laughs> there's no guarantee. So I mean that's always a that's always a worry every year, every time one of those uh thunderstorms come up in in a time when it's really hot and humid and then you get a thunderstorm right after that. That's prime mm-hmm. hailstorm time and and um so i we we have a a hail cannon it's called um here in waterloo that we've had for probably 20 years and i there's a few guys that i've heard that that uh, claim that it really works, but it's really, really hard to tell whether it works because you have to have it fired up um, a few minutes before the hailstorm actually hits, and it's so hard to determine that exactly. And a lot of times, hailstorms really come with a strong wind, and the the way these explosions work, it sends up a, a ring of um, 
Is it just like a sound wave? It's a sound wave, but it's actually circular move, moving or... air. Okay. Yeah. And so it's supposed to hail forms on a on a dust particle right. in the cloud. And so the idea of this would be that it actually keeps the hail from forming on the dust particles. You're sending up these wind currents that keep stirring it up in there in the cloud to keep the hail from forming on the dust particle. So, yeah. So in theory, it might work, but to actually get it to work right on top of if it's in a real strong wind, you know, maybe yeah. it works. Maybe it works for the neighbor two and, miles down the road. And don't, or, uh, d yeah, I was just going to say, because don't hail like do a bunch of up and down motions. Like don't they have to go way up to freeze and then come back down and then get sent way up to to freeze again. Like it seems like you'd have to get them right when they're starting to form so that they don't get that ice at all. That... That's right. You have to get them right. But you, you're the scientist. You know a lot more about that than I do. So. Yeah, I'm just as I'm as you're describing it, I'm like, I wonder if, because because storm clouds move too, so it seems like you'd maybe be stopping it from forming at, uh, for a cloud that would have dropped its hail like ten miles away or something like that. Would be my my initial thought for it. <laughs> but because usually they're moving really fast, like they, those clouds, right? They don't just stay in one spot and. Yeah. Oh, they do. Maybe they do that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting, but maybe but, it it probably would get a lot larger as it goes up too. That that moving air that it's sending up, right? Right. It, so yeah, maybe because it it's going out of a funnel, so it's yeah. It's supposed to this one that we have is supposed to cover like a hundred or hundred and fifty acre. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Segment, but whether it's right on top of you, then by the time it gets up there, I don't know. Have you ever? used it and then gotten hail we the only times we've had hail since on our orchard here in waterloo is times when it came in the at a weir, weird time in the middle of the night or something and um but so it's protected us many times we just don't know if we actually would have got <laughs> hail. yeah but it's kind of fun to it's kind of fun to play with and to think that there's maybe something that, that Leafs, we're doing because it's yeah. a helpless feeling when you get hit with hail. <laughs> Leafs gives you something to do while you're... While but but we're not playing. convinced enough of it that we haven't gone and invested in a whole bunch more of them and right. put them in our Vienna orchards down there. But. Yeah. I guess with hail netting too, you kind of have to to decide is the risk great enough to to make the cost worthwhile because you don't get hit with hail every year, right? Right. So it's not a guarantee. So you're maybe protecting yourself from, for nothing. But And that's why we have orchards in different locations plus all our growers. And so it, it's it's almost a given every year that some of our growers are going to gonna get hit with, with some hail. And it can really vary too is that the extent of the damage of the hail like you can get a bad hailstorm where it's a total wipeout and there's no no apples left for fresh but sometimes it's <clears throat> it's pretty small and pretty spotty and and you just it didn't even break the skin so it just kind of left a, oh, an yeah. indented there and it's still a perfect apple to even though it doesn't meet the fresh it's still fine to use for the processing, like for apple chips. Okay, yeah. And um, so it's still, it's not a total loss. It's still an apple that you can use. 
um, it just doesn't look as nice. Will hail do enough damage that you can't even process an apple? Oh yeah, if, okay. if it's big hail, it'll it'll destroy it so bad that it probably won't even stay on the tree until harvest because okay, it'll start rotting there and it'll fall off or yeah. Have you had hail that bad? I've never seen hail okay. that bad on one of our farms, but I've heard, I've seen it on other farms, and I've I've heard lots of lots of hailstorms like that. But yeah, most of the ones we get tend to be kind of just smaller hail, and for thirty thirty seconds to a minute, but in a minute of hail you can sometimes have 80 90 percent of oh, the fruit really? that gets hit yeah yeah um is it a once in a 10 year approximately that a certain orchard will get hail or i've heard that said but then i've seen it a couple years in a row and i know but like over an average would it would it can you guess it about it seems like some areas in ontario are a little bit more susceptible than others okay, but yep. i well that would make sense like there's but, there's areas that are more susceptible to certain kinds of weather, so I would suspect that 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 could be somewhat predicted or charted out. I think, um, yeah, like on one particular orchard, yeah, every every ten years might be might be fair, but sometimes it seems like it's got to be more often than that. But yeah, yeah. What about frost? Is that more often than one in ten years? That you'll that you'll have significant enough damage that you'd say like eighty or ninety percent of the crop gets wiped out. Well, no, eighty to ninety percent of the crop wiped out. I, that's not more often than ten years. Like, oh, we, really? Okay. We had in two thousand twelve, um, we had ninety percent of our crop wiped out, but that was a uh, once in a. 50 oh okay year um like that was the year we had really warm two really warm weeks in march and right the we had the most of that damage was already done then end of march like the okay cold again we're normal like in this year we had frost in in may and it didn't do damage because they weren't far enough yet. so the problem that year was the two weeks of early early basically summer weather in march that's right yeah and it, that was just very unusual yeah but that yeah that was um that's the only year in in my lifetime so far that i've seen that 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 was just a outlier but then a year a frost where you get maybe 50 percent wiped out or see that part of it is that it's the timing and so the varieties are a little bit different and so so when that frost hits it might have hit one variety really hard and another variety not quite as hard because it was already past the most crucial stage it wasn't quite to the most crucial stage and um but so so in and these frost fans, I think, reduce the risk a lot mm-hmm. too uh, of the the frost damage. They they mitigate the frost damage. Um, so in a year when you might have had fifty percent frost damage without the frost fans, maybe you only have twenty or thirty percent. Well, well, that makes a huge difference then for just those 
devices out in the field. It's great. We've uh, we've kind of been talking about how things have changed since uh, you started growing apples 40 years ago or whenever it was. Um, do you have a uh, do you have any predictions or or uh, ideas of when the of what it's going to look like in 20 years from now or the, like do they do uh do suppliers and things like that try to sell you on new ideas and new technologies for for growing apples or are things fairly fairly the same from year to year oh no there's always new things out there um one thing that um we demoed in our orchard a couple of years ago was a platform that uh for harvesting fruit so it has it was a platform with conveyors and everything that you just pick the apple put it on the conveyor oh, okay. and it carries it to the bin underneath and instead of the the buckets that you wear on your right. on, on you to put the apples into yeah and i really liked that platform um so then you know you have people at different heights and so you don't need the ladders and oh okay yep is it safer and, for a for an orchard worker with a platform like that yeah i i would say it's safer but um and so there's quite a few like those those are being used quite regularly in some and so it for a if I had a a small orchard operation with you know thirty to fifty acres and <laughs> you know I could do most of the you know I could put five people on that platform and do most of my harvest with that one platform you know it would seem like it would make a lot of sense in our operation. Because I would, it's either it's working in another system. So if I just, if I get two platforms, well, that that's you know ten guys can pick on there, and and you know you kind of that's another thing to to manage. It's um, you know we've we've talked about purchasing a couple and seeing if we like them and. But so far we haven't. <clears throat> there's, there's a little bit of labor savings, right. if if the trees are are loaded right, like equally, like if you have equal load on the bottom and top, and so that everybody, like the thing, the problem is if you don't have equal load, or if you have the odd tree missing, or if it's too light on the bottom or too light on the top some places, then that guy has nothing to do for a little bit because there's right. no apples right in front of him. And um, and so then you, then you lose some of that efficiency. So if you have a really good, consistent orchard that's that's really uniform, that's where platforms work the best. Well, wouldn't the trellis that you use now kind of help with with being a more consistent fruit or did yes. you not even find that yes but there's also the the thing of like most of the varieties we can't pick the whole thing at oh, once oh i see yeah um you might be able to pick 70 percent of the first pick and then 
there's another 30% of the second pick or whatever. And so you have that aspect too. And so, um, I have a, I have a friend over in Italy that's, that was really, uh, like he's, it's his machine that we demoed and he's been working very hard to sell me this, uh, this platform. And I, I'm not saying that we won't, um, in the future, there's a good chance that we will at some point be, but I really need 15 of them, you know, like, cause that would be, you know, if I had enough to do most of my harvest with that. And so then we all switched to, to the platform thinking rather than the, um, but so you think they're, it's an all they're, or... they're expensive piece yeah. of equipment. And so, so you thinking it's an all or nothing. You couldn't run a, some crews with, with the, the traditional way of picking and some with you, the... you could, but then it's another new man thing to manage. And oh, you, you really yeah, have to, you really have to stay, someone stay on top of that and make sure that they're managed properly and actually to actually get the efficiency out of it. Cause yeah. if they're not managed properly, then you're not getting the efficiency out and then There's you're no spending point, all yeah. that money and, and, uh, not even gaining that neighbor efficiency. Yeah. And we, we have a pretty efficient, the, like our guys are, are really good pickers and we have systems that work really well. And, and, you know, we, we measure how many bins we get per man. And, and, you know, I've, I've compared that to what the bins I can get per man with this machine. And it's not a huge difference there. Like there's not much room for, but are you remembering that if you used it for a few years, then, then your pickers would get, would increase their efficiency on the machine. Probably like just with a demo, they probably didn't have time to, to learn the best ways to use it. Not? Yeah. That's, I mean, there, there's, there's things like that that I'm sure they'd they'd improve a little bit. But I'm talking about people that have used them and how oh, many, I see. Okay, yeah. how many yeah. bins per man that they yeah. say they can get versus how many bins per man I yeah. get the way I'm is, doing is it. Is it really and, worth it? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, I, it's certainly not something that I'm I'm writing off. So the other, like another step past that is is the robot picking. Like there's there's a few companies that are working on robot machines and guys that are actually growing and training their orchard. Like to, to for a robot to work, you really have to have, you know, pretty precise pruning and, and you need like very, the, the super spindle, you know, where there's not much branching oh, out or whatever. Yep. And, and so some guys are actually really trying hard to grow orchard that they think could work for robot because of how expensive it's getting to to pay guys right for hand picking so this is like totally autonomous as far as like it picks the apple itself yeah Mm -hmm. okay like it'll drive down the road itself and pick them or someone have to to drive it i i would think they would have someone watching it oh yeah Have have you seen one work Ever? Just on video. Okay. I, I've never seen them. Like, do they have arms but, that reach out? And... Yeah. Okay. Wow. And the the one is a vacuum system. Like, it sucks oh. them. Oh. But the problem with that is 
varieties that come off the stem really hard like you get so much stem and leaf oh, with it there or else you rip out the stem yeah and um they haven't figured out that little lift technique yeah right and that's that's you know it's really amazing what our fingers all do like to yeah to try and make a like when you go out there and, and physically pick an apple and that twist that you have to give it to make it come off really nice well that's hard to, that's hard to get a machine with fingers yeah to do that but there that's the other like there's a company in israel that's been working really hard at a at a finger robot machine okay well but when you look at the the price of those and like so one of the things one of the advantages that they say is they you know they put lights on and you can keep the robot going all night too like oh the, i see yeah the robot doesn't mind if he has to work overtime and, yeah exactly and uh he can pick at night and but you know, even if you had that machine going day and night, like right, a robot like that, you know, at the very, from what I see, at the very best, it's only doing what maybe five or six good pickers can do. Okay. And so, you know, so it's not. And so, so if I if I need a hundred and if I need a hundred and fifty pickers to harvest my crop and you divide that by five how many robots would i need and, and that yeah a lot had, uh, are they a million I, or a I, few I, million I, or I, I don't know i yeah. don't even know what they are but even if they're half a million per yeah. thing it's uh, i'm i think we're a little away from yeah i think the platform is to me that's that's a possibility i the robot for me is still it's not something that we're really planning for at this point. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, if the economics keep pushing in that direction, that it, it's, it's not possible to, to find the labor. It's amazing what you can, what you're able to start justifying. And, and then usually costs come down too with, with technology as it gets used and developed and, and right. improved. So maybe in, in 30 years, it might be all robots out there picking apples. Who knows? Yeah. But it, yeah, it's really it's a, it's a really big challenge because of how easily apples bruise, right? Yes, and and the the unique movement that it takes to to lift it and twist it off. The... Are there other fruits that the that have that the harvesting has become a lot more automated than apples, or is that a an issue with any fruit? Oh, I there's I think citrus is much easier to pick with a okay. robot than gotcha. And anything apples. that's that's being processed, you can just be harder on the on the fruit than right. than for fresh yeah. fresh um, selling as well. So it's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean this uh this is this has been uh um great. We are getting fairly long here we're almost at two and a half hours of recording so um I, we might uh, knock off a few things that i had on the on the the list here exactly um just in a couple minutes do you have any advice for for those that are maybe interested in having a small orchard on their own or maybe interested in in getting into into growing apples um is there there anything that uh that they should for sure know when they're 
when they're starting out or as they get into growing fruit? Well, when I when I saw this question, my wife right away said that she'll that you'll say uh, don't <laughs> for a few trees in the backyard. It's just, I guess, it depends what your expectations are. Uh-huh. But if you if you're fine with um, fruit that isn't isn't premium, like if you don't mind if it if it has some defects or even, it's wormy even if it's wormy or whatever yeah. um that's fine i mean it's nice to i mean people have dreams of you know going out to their backyard right. and picking the fruit and but some of the challenges are the because apples have so many pests mm-hmm. and um you can't actually the the regular person can't actually get the the chemicals and tools that they need for for spraying their trees right and because you need the you need a well you yeah you could if you if you're committed enough to go and do the pesticide safety course so that you have a license so that you can buy those chemicals but can you the, buy them on a small scale like but then that's the other thing. Like, yeah. the, I mean, not not small enough for what they need. It's gonna last you for quite a few years <laughs> if you just have two, you get a little yeah. bottle of something or whatever. And and there's so many yeah. different things. But you know, you if if you just want to get them good enough, like you can hit them. You with could a do few a few the, sprays, yeah. A few basic things, and you might get a reasonably edible apple. Uh-huh. And um, so, I mean, more power to you if you wanna, if you wanna go ahead and right. try it. But it's a lot harder than having a garden and growing a few vegetables, is what you're saying. Oh, much harder. Yeah. And I mean, we didn't even talk about like mice and rabbits and deer that like to. Oh yeah. True. Eat fruit trees and. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, there's, there's every, I mean, it just seems like there's so many, so many things to for apple trees in particular i mean that's what i'm familiar with uh, some other fruit trees maybe are a little little easier okay uh, cherries yeah. i think is um it's a little easier to okay to do a cherry tree in your yard than a than an apple tree but but it it depends like if you if you really like gardening and you really like paying attention to your tree and you know there's probably a lot that you can learn and and do for protecting that tree mm-hmm. and even even through some organic practices or whatever yeah i was wondering if there's like even even some of the maybe garden pesticides that you can get i don't know if some of those could translate into a really small tree or something like that like just to to help like i mean stuff yeah that's sold like on a, some at a of those store yeah some of those things will will do a little bit something but but i'm just saying don't don't expect to like the quality of apple that you see in the grocery store Right, it might, yeah. it might be a little uh, challenging for you to to get that kind of quality in mm-hmm. your backyard tree, if, unless you're really paying a lot of attention to it. Yeah. No, that's 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 good, and I'm 
I, I mean, I remember working at, at Market, and we get all kinds of questions about what to do with this tree that they have in their backyard and, and things like that. So it's maybe good for, for people to hear that, that uh, it's really challenging, and if you're up to the challenge, then great. But, but to know that's, uh, it's, that's, that's good, to, it's good to hear. Um, yeah, I think uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up pretty soon here. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about yet or had planned to, to say that you really want to say yet or something that you'd like to promote before we wrap, wrap up this recording? Well, I'll, I'll promote Ambrosia apples. That's definitely my, my favorite. Um, we didn't talk about new varieties at all, but right, yeah. Ambrosia's uh, was actually discovered in Canada. It was one of these oh, r- rare ones, that. rare ones that kind of, it grew wild and the guy just discovered it in his orchard and then, and then uh, he's, recognized it i mean he ate it recognized it as having good potential and that was discovered out in bc okay and uh, so it's becoming one of the uh, one of the popular apples i think there's still a lot of people that don't know about it it's a sweet apple so if you like a sweet apple it's really hard to beat ambrosia and uh, it's it's, better than gala right it's better than gala in my opinion yeah. yeah and it's uh it's just by far my favorite, and I have two ambrosia apples every day for my lunch. Okay, <laughs> down in in uh, Vienna, I don't have to carry a lunch that way, and and um, it just makes a a perfect lunch. And I highly, I highly uh, promote. Um, well, apple a day keeps the doctor away, but I think two does even better jobs. <laughs> So um, yeah, eat lots of apples. And then also I'd like to promote our apple chips that is a fairly new thing for for Martins, but um really good healthy snack. It's just dried apples, but we dry them crisp enough that that um they're more similar to potato chip than a in texture than a dried then, like than yeah. your home dried apple or something right. something like that, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, that's a that's a new fairly new product for us yet but um yeah are the ambrosias available other places than canada like can you are they grown in the united states at all or other countries yes they are grown in the u.s now as well um they're they're there's quite a few growing in washington now okay but yeah you're starting to see more of them in the u.s but are they in supermarkets all year round now are there enough of them? Um, so we had enough of them that we were packing them up until um, last week, I think. Okay. So and this year, so that's the longest that we've ever gone with them. So there's just so a few like months they, they they've been, been available, available in Costco from um, early October, or middle of middle October, I guess probably is when they would start carrying them. They're they're the harvest time for ambrosias early to middle October. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so we've just run out now. I see. And do you keep planting more, more of them or a lot of your new plantings, ambrosia? Yeah. Our, our new plantings are largely uh, ambrosia, honeycrisp and gala. Okay. And, um, crimson crisp is, is another one that, um, it 
it's been around for a little bit, but it never really caught on until just recently. Um, we've gotten it into the supermarkets, and now oh, we've okay. had, started having more requests for them. So that's another one that we're that we're planting some. And there is there's always new varieties on the horizon that we're working with. Um, there's potentially one that we're gonna plant a, a sample of in the next year or so here. Okay. That um, just kind of a trial to see if it's if it has potential for being a commercial variety. Okay. But there's there's two things for it, commercial varieties. It's got to be a good variety, but then you actually have to get it marketed. Like sometimes a good variety dies because it just never got marketed. People didn't find out about it. Right, and, yeah. And then... There's no market. Yeah, there's and if there's no market, <laughs> the price is too low, and then no one people grows give it up on it. So no one yeah. hears about it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. All right, so go look for uh, for an ambrosia apple the next time you're buying apples. All right, well, thank you so much for for um, doing this and answering my questions. And I, I thought it was just going to be like me asking you questions so that listeners would learn about it. But I learned a lot from uh, that I didn't know before from the conversation here too. So, so okay, that great. Was, that was very enjoyable. Yeah, it's thank been a lot so of much. fun. Yeah, it went uh, went fast. I didn't expect. Uh, yeah, you told me that you weren't sure that you could come up for uh, with enough for for uh for 2 hours and we're at 2 hours and 36 minutes and I had to cut short a bunch of stuff so I think we could have gone on probably a lot longer but well, it makes sense we've we've talked a lot about about these kinds of things in the past too so Okay, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening and thank you dad for sharing your knowledge with us. This was a really fun conversation for me. I grew up on the farm as well and spent many summers working in the apple operation. So I was expecting to kind of guide this conversation and not learn a whole lot from it. But I was plenty pleasantly surprised by the many new things that I learned in the conversation that we had. So thanks again, Dad, for sharing your knowledge with us. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can send me an email at contact at everydayexpertise.ca or you can connect on social media. You can also find show notes and other information about the show on the website. That's at everydayexpertise.ca. That's all for now. Join me again next week to learn from the expertise of everyday people.